good morning to you again. My name is Dion, and I'm so glad to be here with you in the series Marked. We're looking at, at really what is to be the marks that set us apart. How are we to look different in our culture as those who follow Jesus Christ? And um, in this, in this week's, weekend's topic, we're going to talk about a specific mark, which I, th- I frankly think a lot of us struggle with. I think the topic today might be even less popular than the topic last week. And last week, if you remember, we were talking about self-control. How unpopular is that? But this week, I think, could even be more unpopular because we're going to talk about perseverance. Now, um, perseverance, I think, is something that we struggle with, at least in our nation, but I think as people, we struggle with it. In fact, I have some data here that that might suggest the same, that we struggle with perseverance. Um, Over 1.2 million high school students drop out each and every year. That's a high school student dropping out every 26 seconds. Or college students... Um, we have 45% of college students who drop out each, uh, all the time, and that doesn't mean they, they, uh, they don't even re-enroll in another college. That just means they drop out, they quit college altogether. 41% of first marriages end in divorce. You've heard the stat about half of marriages. That's because often second and third marriage divorce rates are higher. Um, but that, actually, the good news, this number has been going down since the 80s, slightly. Um, but still, 41% of first marriages end in divorce. 38%, this is a recent labor stat, 38% of working age adults have quit the job market. And that's because of a tough economy. Um, That's for a whole list of reasons, which again, if you look at this list, this might suggest that perseverance may be a problem for us as people. Now, to be sure, there may be some credible reasons that, that you might do any of these things, and, and there may be a good reason for that stuff. Uh, for instance, some of these people, the 38% there, are people who have reached retirement age, or there are people who have elected to go on to grad school to get a graduate degree. So it's not all bad, and yet, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we will acknowledge that perseverance is not something we're necessarily good at. And then ironically, on top of of us not already being good at perseverance, there are all of these scientists and researchers who are trying to make our lifespans longer. Whose idea is that? Perseverance is hard. Yeah, just make us live longer. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Just longer to persevere, right? And yet today we're going to talk about perseverance because it is so important. And uh, not only important, you know, practically, uh, but it's important because God says so. In 2 Peter, this theme verse that we've been looking at over the course of this series um, where these marks come from. It says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Say these words in yellow with me, okay? So make every effort, add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So four marks that we've talked about so far, three in previous weeks. Today we're talking about the fourth one, perseverance. Now you may be sitting here today and, and maybe, maybe, maybe you don't care much about perseverance. Uh, and yet what we find from Second Peter is that if we lack perseverance, in addition to the other things that we've talked about already in this series, uh, if, if we don't add this value, this virtue, this character trait, this mark into our lives, that means that we will be ineffective and unproductive, not only in our faith, but also in our life. Now, I realize that that sitting here today, some of you are really motivated by that because you're goal-oriented people. You don't want to be ineffective or unproductive. And then I realize that some of you, you are not goal-oriented people. You, You don't care about tasks. You don't care about productivity. You live life by a different measure, and that's okay. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to hang on today, okay? 
Because part of this message may feel like it misses you and what motivates you, but I promise at the end I'm going to come back and I'm going to speak to you in a very specific way that I think you'll find motivating. So um, today we're going to talk about perseverance, and to do it we're going to look at the character study, a character study rather, of a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was his name. Now, I don't know how many of you know Nehemiah, but today you're going to get acquainted with Nehemiah. Nehemiah um, is, is, a, is a guy, he wrote a book of the Bible. It's his own personal record. We're going to look at just the beginning of Nehemiah's story. But I think what might happen for a lot of us here today is that you're going to get intrigued about Nehemiah. You're going to want to go home and read more of his story. So I give you permission to do that when you go home. Wait till you go home. Uh, you know, find a Bible, find a table of contents. It's an Old Testament book called Nehemiah. You can read it in one sitting. It's a great book that describes... A, uh, just, just what perseverance looks like. But today we're going to look at it, but first I, I want to give you some background about Nehemiah. So Nehemiah as a man is from way over here. He's, he's from the region of, of Israel, the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. He's from the city of Jerusalem. But he's living about 500 years um, before Christ, and he finds himself in, in his book Nehemiah, he finds himself way over here in Susa, which is the winter capital of the Persian Empire. Now, he's an Israelite, but he finds himself a long way from home um, because some of you know this, that there was a period of time where Israel was essentially wiped out by foreign invaders. And their people were exported and their cities were destroyed. And there was just kind of this ragtag group of remnant people who lived there. But most of the other people were moved all over the empire. And, And Nehemiah is one of these guys. His family had been relocated. But he now finds himself... In a, in a very interesting position, it's, it's frankly my dream job. Uh, he finds himself as the cup bearer of the king. Now, I've looked on, um, I've looked on job websites and I haven't seen any cup bearers that are, are open. But what a cup bearer basically does, get this, tell me if this is not a great job. You get to taste all of the wine the king drinks before he has it. So you get to be a professional wine taster, which sounds great. Unless you remember that part of the reason you're there to taste wine is... Uh, because you are the litmus test to make sure the king doesn't get poisoned. So you drink, and if you don't drop dead, then the king can drink it. It's safe. So this is Nehemiah's job, which has some risk to it, but it's also an incredible honor. I mean, he's up close and personal with the king of Persia. He's given a job of incredible, um, incredible trust. He's a confidant of the king. So that's where he finds himself. He's from Jerusalem. But right before we get to where we are going in Nehemiah chapter 2, in Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, he, he receives a word from his homeland, from, from Jerusalem, the city that his ancestors are from. And, and he receives news that after all of these years of being in exile, things aren't going well there. People have tried to rebuild it. People have tried to reestablish it. And all of those efforts have failed. And Jerusalem is just a mess. It's lying in ruins. And he hears this news. And he's immediately burdened by it. He's overwhelmed by it. Totally distracted. And that's where we're going to find Nehemiah as we go into Nehemiah chapter 2. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2. If you want to open up your Bible today and follow along, go to page 476 here in the room. It starts off this way. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, who's the king of Persia, Persian Empire, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, which is going to be important later. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So remember I told you, the reason Nehemiah is sad is because he's just gotten a report of of his homeland and things aren't going well there. And, And you know how this works, right? You get a bit of news in life. You hear about a problem. You hear about someone who you love 
who's hurting, you hear about someone's struggle, and, and you're immediately overcome by it. And you're kind of burdened by it. And you go through life and, and people are like, hey, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, yeah, there's just some stuff. You know, it's not even your stuff, but it's other people's stuff. And you feel the weight of it. See, that's where Nehemiah is. And the problem is, though, he, he's carrying that into the presence of the king. Now, I had some words highlighted here that said, I had not been sad in his presence before. And see, that's, that's really, that's important. That's wise and that's intentional of Nehemiah not to do that. Because we're living in old school times here. You know, today, we, we talk about leadership and we talk about servant leaders and that's a great thing. But, but the kind of leaders we talk about today are very different than the kind of leaders who lived long ago, right? I mean, we're in this culture of servant leadership and you know, we're taught as leaders to say, well, hey, I'm the leader that means I work for you. I'm here to serve you, and, and that's great leadership. Uh, that was not the kind of leader that Artaxerxes was, though. Right? He's old school. He's like, I'm the leader, and you work for me. You know, I, I'm the leader, and it's not my job to solve your problems. Don't bring your problems to me. It's your job to help me solve my problems. So the idea that Nehemiah let himself be sad in the presence of the king, that's very, very, very unwise. In fact, it's dangerous. And so he's going to have to decide for himself right here, what does he do with that? Does he, you know, quickly bounce back? Does he lie to the king? Does he tell them the truth? We're going to see that Nehemiah is, is really daring or dumb uh, because he tells the king the truth. Watch this. He says, I was very much afraid, right? This is a no-no. Don't bring your problems to the king. That's not why you're there. But I said to the king anyway, may the king live forever. But why should my face not look sad? When the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned, have been destroyed rather by fire. The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah knows he's about to step onto dangerous ground here, uh, so he, he fires up this quick prayer. I love that. And then he goes on and he speaks. I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found any favor, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? I realized it, was the, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. So, so Nehemiah's bold here. I mean, he's, he's putting it all out there. He's asking for the king's help. Again, to no, no, you don't ask the king for help. You're there to help him. And yet he does it. And, and get this, these words are going to be important to us later on in the service. I'll just give you a warning. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. See, this is working out beyond Nehemiah's expectations, I'm sure. He not only asked the king, hey, can I leave you? I'm your trusted advisor. I'm the guy who tastes your wine and makes sure it's okay. Can I leave you for a while to go back to my homeland to rebuild this, this city that, that others have conquered? Not only that, but can you provide me safe conduct? Can you give me protection? Not only that, can you finance this journey? And the king says yes to all of it. 
exceeds his expectations. He says, not only will I give you letters of safe conduct, I'm going to put army officers, I'm going to put a cavalry there with you so that, so that you will be safe. I mean, just must blow him away. And I want to pause right here for a second. Because see, it's, it's right here in this initial phase of a new endeavor. It's right here where, where frankly, everything is easy, isn't it? I mean, Nehemiah is about to do something huge. I don't think he has any knowledge of how to rebuild a city. He's not a city planner. He's a cupbearer. And yet he says, I'm going to go home and I'm going to rebuild the walls of this city that no one else has been able to rebuild so it has a future. This, this city that's important to God and important to me. But, but man, this, this is a huge challenge that he's about to go after. But, but, but in this phase of things, Nehemiah is energized, isn't he? He sees God at work and he goes, you know what? I'm going to be able to do this. And, and we get that. We've all been there before at the beginning of something new where every challenge seems not like a challenge but an opportunity, where every obstacle is is an excitement. When you feel courageous, when you feel bold, when you feel brave, you're walking around singing, I am titanium, right? You're like, right? You know how that feels. You're facing something impossible and you're like, come on, I'm bulletproof. So you're like, yeah, triathlon. I'm going to sign up for a triathlon. And people are looking at you and going, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You can't run two miles. And you're like, that's okay. I'm going to do it. Or, or I'm going to learn a new language. Or I'm going to start a new business. Or I'm going to enroll in grad school. Or, or I'm going to get married. And it's going to be awesome and easy. And people are like, hey, man. <laughs> or sometimes it's other stuff. You know, maybe it's, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to feed starving kids in India. Or I'm going to help women who are caught in, the, in, the, in, the, in sex trafficking. I'm going, to, I'm going to make a future for them. I'm going to help do something to, to heal the violence that exists in our country and our cities. And I'm going to do it all before lunchtime. Because I'm titanium. I can do this. Right? We've all been there at the beginning of something where, where things are exciting. See, that's, that's where Nehemiah is right now. And here's the deal. If life... If life is only a string of new beginnings over and over and over again, then you don't require perseverance. None of us need it. Because new things are naturally motivating to us. The problem is if you actually want to be productive or effective in your life, if you actually want to achieve and and have God work through you, you, you can't bounce from new beginning to new beginning to new beginning. And inevitably, no matter how excited you are at the beginning of something, whether it's a project, a relationship, whatever, Inevitably, you will run into challenges and resistance that will require perseverance. It doesn't take long for Nehemiah to do this. We just leave him, you know, being ecstatic about the king saying yes to everything and then some. And then in the very next verse, it says this, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of of the Israelites. So Sanballat and Tobiah, these are these two guys who are also officials in the Persian Empire. They serve the same king that Nehemiah does. And they've got authority over the region of around Jerusalem. And now here comes this, this upstart guy from the capital, you know, from the home office, checking into what they're doing. And immediately there's a turf war over this. Like, don't come onto our turf and make us look bad, Nehemiah. These are the guys who've been letting the city of Jerusalem just lay in ruins and have ignored the people and not governed well. And now Nehemiah's coming from the capital and he's supposed to fix this. They're immediately threatened. And so they're going to make, and we're not going to see it all today. Uh, we're not going to really see any of it today. Um, but if you read it, you'll see it. They're going to make Nehemiah's life a living hell as he tries to do this project. 
First, they're, gonna, they're just going to be naysayers. They're going to fill his mind with doubt. They're going to ridicule him, saying, like, who do you think you are? You don't know how to rebuild a wall. Look at your labor force. It's sad. It's pathetic. They're going to talk trash to him all day long to try to get into his head. And then they're going to lob threats against him. They're going to launch deceptive plots against him. They're even going to threaten to blackmail him and make up stories about him back to the king. In no time, in no time, you know, you go from being like, I am titanium to, to encountering resistance, being like, oh no, what have I done? See, inevitably, no matter how great things start off, you will encounter resistance, especially if you want to do something good, something that's healthy, something that's godly, you will encounter it. And for most of us, this is where the wheels come off. Uh, just recently, we had, uh, in my house, we completed a, uh, a flooring project. Um, now, to be truthful, I shouldn't say we completed it. We're about 96% done. So my wife is really hoping I practice what, my, what I preach this week. She's like, finish the job, Dion, because we started it back in January. Uh, we moved into our house over six years ago. They had this carpet, and we're like, this is not going to be good with small children. And we were like, it's just not very good carpet. And so we're like, someday we're going to put in wood floors. And we'd been dreaming about that and saving for that and planning for that. So at the end of January, we started this project. And I'll tell you, on Wednesday night, when we started this project, we started on a Wednesday night, so I was taking off the rest of the uh, week to do it. On Wednesday night, I had some friends over, and we started ripping out that carpet, and it felt amazing. I'm like, whoa, we're getting rid of this carpet finally, this nasty stuff. We're like chucking carpet and things into the backyard. I'm like, just pick it up later. Let's get this stuff out of the house. I'm on fire. Wednesday night. By Friday morning, less than 36 hours later, I'm like, why did we rip out the carpet? This is hard. It's hard. I mean, my back was hurting. My knees were hurting. And I'm looking at all of this floor that I have to lay. And I'm going, this was the dumbest idea ever. Right? See, that's what happens in life. You start something off and you're excited. But inevitably, you get to the middle of it somewhere. Or or maybe even 25% in. And you go, wait, what have I done? I often talk about how marriages between 12 and 16 years, I witnessed early on in my my ministry that, man, marriages between that time break down at at a high rate higher than normal. And for a long time, I looked at that with curiosity, and I thought, man, what is that about that window of 12 to 16 years? Well, this spring, my wife and I will be married 16 years. And and I can tell you, speaking for both of us, we don't wonder anymore. We get it now. (laughs) Fully, we do. Right? And we actually like each other, and I think we have a great marriage. We love each other deeply. And yet, here's what you've discovered. Back when you made that commitment to, to live with one another until death parts you, that was a pretty big commitment, bigger than any of us, I think, realize on that day. It's, it's a huge commitment. It's a difficult commitment to keep. And since you're not technically allowed to kill the other person <laughs> to hasten that death parts us thing, you know, because as Steve Howard said last week, I love that line he said last week, sometimes it's just not worth the jail time, right? <laughs> uh, because you're trying to do this, you're trying to live together as one unit for the rest of your life, that's, I mean, even when you love each other, even when you have a great marriage, and I, again, I love my wife, and, and she loves me, and we have a great marriage, it's still difficult, right? You get worn out. It's wearying. You get tired in the middle. See, why is that? It's all because what gets us going is not always what keeps us going. And I think some of us don't understand this. I've talked about it, but what gets us going, that's easy. What keeps us going, that's different. And if you rely on what it is that gets you going to carry you through, you'll never, ever, ever carry through. You'll never finish. You'll never endure. You'll always give, give up. 
So, so Nehemiah, again, going back to Nehemiah, and this is a spoiler alert on Nehemiah. Nehemiah starts his project and he's excited and he's motivated, but ultimately he's going to have to learn a different set of behaviors than he does in order to complete the project. And, and uh, again, spoiler, uh, Nehemiah does complete the project. He goes to Jerusalem. It's a mess. He gathers his weak labor force and he begins to do this project and there are threats and at one point they're putting stones into the wall with one hand and they have spears in the other hand to ward off. People are trying to stop this. It's, it's, it's a nightmare, but they build the wall in record time. It's, it's absolutely miraculous. He achieves. Not because he was motivated at the beginning, but because he discovered not just what got him going, but what was able to keep him going. See, I think so often we look at people who persevere and here's what we think. Instead of looking at them and watching what they do and learning about their behavior, here's what we think when we, when, we, when we observe someone who's really good at enduring or breaking through barriers or overcoming challenges. We think, huh, I wonder what planet they're from, right? We just treat them as if they're different. We're like, man, that, that must be some sort of superpower they have. Perseverance man, you know, or perseverance woman. That's, that must be some sort of supernatural strength that they have to endure. It's not. I know we look at those people and we're going, man, what did their mama feed them for breakfast? What kind of Wheaties are they eating? Like, what enables them to keep going? They must just be different than me. And you know what the reality is? They're not different than you are. I think they've just learned that what gets you going is not what keeps you going. And so today I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what keeps us going. Not what gets us going, because you know that. That's easy. Let's talk about what keeps us going going. And the first thing that keeps us going, you can see it right here, is a cause that's worth it. A cause that's worth it. See, I think the reason so many of us fail to persevere is that at the beginning, we don't ask an important question. Before we commit ourselves to something, before we get into something, whether it's a project, uh, a relationship, um, just, just some other commitment, we fail to ask the question, is this really worth it to me? Is it worth it? And as a result, here's what happens. Because we don't ask this question, we just start committing to things. We get involved with things because that's what everyone else is doing. It seems like the right thing to do. We're following someone else's script for our lives. Or maybe we just, we just feel obligated to do it. And we end up with, with all of these commitments. We end up in the middle of all kinds of things that aren't actually worth it to us. And when we find ourselves there, perseverance is almost impossible. If it's not actually worth it to you, you will quit. You will give up. And rightfully so, because why would you ever suffer for something that's not worth it to you? See, I love what Jesus says. Jesus teaches on this one day. Such a simple uh, illustration. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. See, it could be poor planning on the front end that enables you not to persevere, but I think often it's just simply not asking, is this really worth it to me? Now again, I think for some of us, we're finding ourselves in the middle of something that at one time was worth it to us. Maybe you're battling for greater health because you had a health scare. Maybe you're battling for a relationship. Maybe you're battling for something else, and, and you're in the middle of something, and, and it was worth it to you at one time, but, but you've kind of lost touch 
with why it's worth it to you. You've lost touch with those reasons. Here's what I challenge you to do if you hope to persevere there. Go back and do some homework and rediscover why it's worth it to you. Because until it's worth it to you, you'll never be able to persevere. And again, rightfully so. If it's not worth it to you, go ahead and quit. But, but if it was once worth it to you, just get in touch with that again because it, it will do half the work for you. I promise if you can just remember it's worth it. I mean, think about it this way. Here we are this time of year called Lent. And in a couple of uh, weeks, we'll, we'll go through our Holy Week experience. If you've never been to one of these, um, or even if you have, make sure you schedule time to come to the Holy Week experience in a couple of weeks here. It's, it's right before Easter on Thursday and Friday, a couple different times. Because what you get to do in the Holy Week experience is you, is you really get to immerse yourself in all that Jesus endured in the final days of, of his life. And, uh, and even if you know the story, you, you will be overcome and amazed at the ridicule, at the rejection, at the physical pain that Jesus endured as he was finishing his life. And, and again, here's what often happens for us, right? Because we do the superhuman thing. We go, well, of course Jesus could do that because he's the son of God. See, he's a superhuman person. He is, he is divine. And so that means that he was, enable, he was able to persevere in these awful things. And yes, he was divine, but I think we miss the point. See, I think the reason Jesus was able to endure all he did in the final week of his life is because he had decided ahead of time that it was worth it. You hear me? He decided that it was worth it. Specifically, he decided that you were worth it. He decided that you were worth it. He decided that, that he loved you enough that he didn't want you living with the weight of sin and failure and shame anymore. He decided that he loved you so much that, that it was worth it to him to take that stuff on himself. Jesus decided that your reconciliation with the Father through him was so important that it was worth it. See, the reason Jesus could endure, the reason he could persevere is because he knew it was worth it. He had made up his mind and he said, this is a cause that's worth it. And that was, that was more than half the battle. I mean, that's what happened in Gethsemane. He's praying to his father and, and he's saying, let this cup pass from me. I'm not sure I want to do this. And somehow the father reminded him that it was worth it. And he said, okay. See, when you can do this in your life, if you can just reacquaint yourself with the worth of whatever it is that you're in the middle of, that, that it matters, if you can take some time before you get overcommitted in life and you can only commit yourself to the things that are truly worth it to you, then, then you are already miles ahead of everyone else when it comes to perseverance. I heard someone say this this week and I thought it was so profound. Um, if it is important to you, you will find a way. If it's not important to you, you will find an excuse. It's true, isn't it? You'll find an excuse. Or you'll find a distraction. Because what are distractions? Distractions are just excuses. They're things we use to excuse ourselves from quitting, from giving up. And we can lay the blame at someone else's feet. So, so the first thing is a cause that's worth it. If you can find a cause that's worth it, man, more than half your work is done. The second thing uh, that keeps us going is living one day at a time. Living one day at a time. Now, I want to ask you an honest question. And because I'm an honest guy and I share a lot with you about my, uh, my good stuff and a lot of my bad stuff, I want you to be honest with me with your answer, okay? How many of you, when you think about eternity, when you think about heaven, 
and you think about life in heaven going on forever, a series of unending days, how many of you start to feel a little freaked out or anxious about that? Go ahead and show your hands if, if that occasionally just, you go like, what does that look like? Okay, a few of you are honest and the rest of you, you, you need help. You need help with being honest. It'll be our next series, Honesty. Um, now, uh, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I've never, I've never, I may have experienced some great things in my life. I've never experienced anything so great that I literally wanted it to last forever. Never. Not once have I said, this is great. I could do this every day forever. Now, someone helped me with this, though. Um, they helped me with this a few years ago because I was kind of wrestling with that idea of eternity. And they said, no, no, no. I don't think eternity is a sequence of endless days. I think eternity is actually being able to step out of time. You get to exist outside of time, which sounds really great to me, and, and that helped me with that. But here's why I bring that up. If, if the idea of heaven, you know, a perfect existence, being in the presence of God, where there's no mourning, pain, crying, or death, or sickness, if, if being in God's presence and doing that day after day after day after day, if that can overwhelm us, then why on earth do we live life so far ahead of ourselves. Why on earth do we get up in the morning and get ready for work and we say to ourselves, I don't know if I can do this for the next 10 years. Right? Why, why do we do that to ourselves? Why is it that we lay down at night and we lay down next to our spouse and we look at them and we go, I don't know if, if, I, can, if I can love this person for the rest of my life. Why is it that when, when we're in the middle of training for a, a race, you know, running a marathon, we get there and we go, I don't know if I can do the next five miles. Why is it that when we're in the middle of treatment, we say, I don't know if I can do this six more weeks. Why is it that when we're in the middle of a tough semester, we say, I don't know if I can make it to the end of the semester. Why do we kill, if, if, if heaven, the idea of heaven going on forever intimidates us, why do we think about life in that same way? See, you don't have to get up in the morning and say, I don't know if I can do this for the next 10 years. Instead, just get up in the morning and say, can I do this today? And looking at that spouse that you're not sure that you can love for the rest of your life, you're just not sure if you can deal with it, ask yourself the question, can I love this person today? And instead of thinking about the next four or five miles that you have to run, what if you just thought about the next mile? What if instead of the next six weeks of treatment, what if you thought about this treatment? What if instead of the next semester, you just thought about tonight's assignments? Right? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we get so far ahead? I, I think some of this actually sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? As you talk about perseverance, it almost sounds like, well, well, you should be ready to be in it for the long haul. And yeah, but the way you're in it for the long haul, a strategy for that is by not thinking about the long haul, really. It's about thinking about today and saying, now, now what do I need to be faithful? What do I need to endure for the next 20 years? No, no, no. What do I need in order to be faithful to endure today? See, I believe, I believe that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter how tired or weary you are, I believe, I believe that you can handle today. And I think those who are really good at perseverance, Nehemiah had to do this. He, he rode his horse around the, the walls of Jerusalem when he first got there at night. He kind of did it in secret. And, and it's a disaster. And there's no way he should be able to do it. But day by day by day by day, faithfully going along, he gets it done. See, I believe you can handle today. Ten years, I don't know if you can handle that. I don't think any of us can. But today, 
I believe you can. And, and then last, what keeps us going, trusting God for the impossible. See, I think everything changes in the perseverance game when you remember that you are not alone and that we have a God who can do great things. And when you know that, that we have a God who can do great things, when you believe that, it makes all the difficulty of whatever you're facing, it makes it a lot less wearying. I want you to see what Nehemiah said um, right at the beginning of the project. So he's home in Jerusalem. He's now seen with his own eyes what a mess everything is. I just told you he wrote around the walls. He's looking at all the work that has to be done. He's looking at his labor force, people who've never built anything in their lives, much like, you know, uh, much like, uh, you know, I, I felt at the beginning of my uh, hardwood floor. I never did hardwood floors, right? I mean, you're just like, what? How are we going to do this? Look what, look what he said to the people, though, before they began work. He said, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. Now, I want you to look at this again. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. Do you see how wise this is? Nehemiah is telling all of these people, he's saying, you know what our job is? Our job is to start rebuilding. That's it. Whose job is it to grant us success? The God of heaven. I mean, this is so profound. Nehemiah started off this project in the right way. He said, guys, it's our job just to show up. But us showing up, it's not enough to get this done. The reason we're going to be successful is because there is a God in heaven whose hand is upon us in a blessed way, and he will give us success. And God gave them success. They rebuilt the wall in record time. Again, it's, it's an incredible story. I encourage you to, to read it. See, I just encourage you today, if you are feeling weary and, and you're saying, yes, these things are worth it. They're important to me. I'm trying to take one day at a time, but I'm still exhausted. I'm not sure. If I could just challenge you today, I challenge you to go back and start in the Old Testament and read all of the amazing things that God does for people who are not too different from you. And just get overwhelmed. Let yourself get overwhelmed by how great our God is. The success that he can bring. It's, it's incredible. See, see, again, again, again. I don't believe there are superhuman people out there who are just born with the ability to persevere. But I believe ordinary people like you and me, we learn how to persevere when we do these three things. When we find a cause that's worth it. When we begin to live one day at a time and we ask, can I be faithful today? When we begin to trust that we, we serve a God who can do the impossible. Now here's what I, I said at the beginning. I know that some of you are sitting here today and you still don't care, right? Because you're, you're not goal-oriented. Achieving tasks, making things happen, that's not what drives you. That's not what motivates you. You're motivated by other things and, and that's okay. So today, if that's you, if you know, some of us, we're goal-oriented and we're like, yeah, yeah, this is my way to achieve more and, and, and that's enough for you. But for some of you, you're, you're just kind of, this is missing you, this whole perseverance thing. You still don't understand why this is an important mark for you to embody. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask you another question, if that's you. And the question is this. Do you want to see God? And I don't mean, do you want to see God in heaven someday? Do you want to get to heaven? That's not what I'm asking. The question I want to ask you today is, do you want to see God working up close and personally in your life? Do you want to see God move and act in ways that are nothing short of miraculous. 
See, I, I think most of us do, right? But, but here's what I think happens. I have a hunch about this, that I think so often God sees us in the middle of something that's really tough and we're, and we're just trudging through it and we feel overwhelmed and God is about to come to our aid. He's about to come and do something miraculous. He's about to show us how much he loves us and how good he is and how powerful he is. And right before he acts, we throw in the towel. We quit. We give up. And we never get to see God move personally. See, maybe you think your marriage is dead. And I don't want to argue that point with you today. But I would say this. What if your dead marriage is your best chance of seeing God move miraculously, up close and personal in your life? I could say the same about that friend that you've been inviting to church who keeps resisting you and you're about to throw in the towel or that problem that you've been trying to solve, or that cause that you've been fighting for, where, where you are just, you feel like it's unwinnable, you're getting worn out. I, I could talk to you in the same way about that sin struggle that you are muddling through, that sin struggle that feels unbeatable to you. See, each of those things, those are your opportunity to persevere. What if in persevering in those things, what if in so doing, maybe, maybe that's your best chance. What if that's your best chance to see God do a miracle right in front of your face? See, that's what's different about perseverance for a Christian. It's not just about hanging in there or toughing it out or, or, or you know, not quitting. See, perseverance for a Christian, hear me on this. Perseverance for a Christian is ultimately about waiting on God. A God who is good and powerful. And correct me if I'm wrong, but don't we worship a God who is very good, who's very reliable? Don't we worship a God who always comes through for us? E even if it's in a way that we don't expect, doesn't he always come through? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, right? I mean, and, and that's what this time of year is. We see it again that, that after thousands of years of waiting, God sent Jesus into the world. And he took care of our greatest need. He always comes through. See, that's what perseverance is for us. It's not only a way to keep ourselves from being ineffective and unproductive. I mean, I value that. I don't want to be ineffective and unproductive. But perseverance is also, and, and just hear me on this, perseverance is a mark that will enable you to see the work of God in your life up close and personally in miraculous ways, ways that, that people who quit and make quitting a way of life, never get to see. See, and I, I don't want you to miss out on that. I don't want you to miss out on seeing how our God does in fact come through. And so today, I want to close by praying. I want to pray, and I just want to ask God to help us with this, to help us cultivate perseverance. So bow your heads with me and pray. Father in heaven, I pray today that you would help us that you would rewire our minds. That we'd stop committing to things and getting involved in things just because that's what other people do. But that we would start only committing to things that are, are worth it to us. That we'd stop and ask the question, is it worth it? Father, I pray for those of us who are in the middle of, of things that were once worth it to us that have lost their value or meaning for us. I pray that you'd give us a critical mind to, to be able to rediscover the worth of that thing. Father, I pray that you would help us 
not get overwhelmed by a long view of life. And there's value in looking ahead, but Father, I pray that you would help us to look at today and to simply focus on on being faithful today. Father, I, I I pray that you would help us believe in you as a God who does the impossible. Father, I just get to hear your stories all the time. I pray that today, that, that in our minds, for maybe people who haven't heard those stories in a while of how you still move and act, that you would just inspire in us belief that you are a miracle-working God who, who does great things, that you always come through. Even if it's not like how we expect, that you still always come through. Father, help us hang in there to wait on you to persevere so that we get to see you move. Father, right now I'm just thinking about all of those people in the days of Jesus, those people who waited for you to come and, and to bring deliverance. And I think how many of them had already given up and how many of them missed seeing you walk on earth in human flesh. God, I don't want that for us. So help us to stand ready faithful. Help us stand trusting in you to move so that we get to see you in our life story, not just in people like Nehemiah's, but we get to see you move in our stories as well. I pray it in Jesus. Amen.